Everything set up, gentlemen? Just about. Lights, cameras, How's it going, everyone? Welcome back to the 70 millimeter mindset. This is episode two. We are going to be talking about Florian Zeller's film, The Father, starring Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Coleman. If you missed our first episode, we talked about Black Widow and it was a really good discussion. So we would recommend checking that out if you haven't yet. But for this episode, we're going to be discussing The Father. And Nathan, what did you think of it? What are your initial impressions? Just real quick. Um, initial impressions. This is not your standard film. Um, this isn't the normal film that you walk into. You have to think about it. Um, and I think it's like in an even different way than a Nolan film. Like Nolan Mm -hmm. films, you can still follow them fairly well. Like, especially the, the less sci-fi influenced ones like a Dark Knight or like Dunkirk or even Interstellar or something like that. Um, but mm-hmm. this film is almost all about that kind of deep analysis. I think it's kind of made for uh, us us kind of people that like to really uh, talk about and really analyze heavily these films. For sure. There's a lot about the story that is going to be very unclear, uh, at least to some people. For me, it was pretty unclear on my first viewing how exactly the story progressed. I don't know how that went with you. Like, how many times have you seen it? Uh, I've seen it once. So I okay. yeah. I, I intentionally only saw it once before this, um, before this recording so that uh, I could give uh, my kind of more raw impressions on it. I saw it about two weeks ago, so... Forgive me okay. if I yeah. have something a little bit off in my memory, but yeah, no worries. I, I, my story behind this one actually it's a little bit unique. So um, there's this one YouTuber I want to give him a shout out because if it weren't for him, I would not have found this movie at all. So the channel name is Mauler M A U L E R, and he released a video called "The Father in Unbridled Praise," where he just talks about everything that makes this movie amazing for about 56 minutes. And since I, I've followed this guy for a while now, so I saw the video title that he liked it, that it, that he was praising it. And I was immediately intrigued. So I just immediately went to Amazon, rented the movie and watched it just so that I could watch the video. And I'm so glad that he uploaded a video about it because this is now my new favorite film of all time after after rewatching it today, I kind of came to that conclusion. So I've seen it three times, twice about a couple months ago, and then just recently today took some notes on it in preparation for the discussion. So how how did you like it uh, for like initially? So like right after I finished the movie, I wasn't sure if I liked it. Like I feel like I mm-hmm. like I had this. Um, like a a little bit too much hype built up for it. It was like super overhyped when I heard that you like the movies as much as I do, knowing how critical <laughs> you are of movies. Um, oh, so I, 
I felt a tiny bit disappointed at the end of it, but after uh, a little bit okay. further pondering and um, oh. yeah, like deep analysis a... of uh, what I saw, I think I've come to a, a positive conclusion of it. For sure, yeah. There's really quite a lot to appreciate and quite a lot to unpack as well, so I think we can just start diving in. And the first thing, just to introduce the story a little bit and first of all i we, we would recommend that you watch the father before this discussion because this one is going to be based on a lot of references that you'll get a lot more out of it if you watch the film first and so there are going to be plenty of spoilers so we would highly For recommend sure. watching the film first yeah uh to start it it's basically about a father and his daughter and how their relationship um how it grow how it grows and falls apart in some different areas due to the father struggling with memory loss and some people come in and out of his life inexplicably and he has trouble making sense of it and this film really uses nonlinear storytelling to uh bring that confusion uh, uh bring that perspective of that confusion to the audience and makes it really, really impactful. And I guess that would be one of my questions to you. Uh, what, how did you, how well did you follow the plot? I, uh, if you can even call it that, I'm not exactly sure how you can <laughs> categorize it. Like uh, a plot, like you were saying that if you can call it a plot, cause it transcends yeah. the, <laughs> um, Almost. I, I had some issues following it at a couple points, but wasn't that kind of mm-hmm. the, the point of the movie to be confusing? And th- that that almost sounds like a a little bit counterintuitive there, but just the, the point of the movie was to be confusing to uh, kind of show um, Anthony's, uh, show the effects and like how it would feel for Anthony's situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It I, definitely develops sympathy. Yeah, uh, for Anthony, because it, it's one thing to be able to follow the whole story from an omniscient perspective and just have have all the knowledge of what's happening to Anthony. But when you're in his shoes, when you're seeing it through his eyes and you realize the amount of in- critical information that he just can't hold on to because of this disease that he has no control over, it just makes it all the more tragic. Yeah, it definitely did a great job with, um, like, really immersing you in the story in that aspect. For sure. Uh, if if it wasn't for uh, the non-linear, non-linearity of the story, we wouldn't really be able to relate at all to what Anthony is going through. We would just see the scenes uh, of everyone else's perspective of him, like, mm-hmm. being, like, a for- forgetful elderly man really that's that's what we would see so we we wouldn't have as much connection to anthony and as much connection with the story if Mm -hmm. it was all from like a third person perspective on his life and the movie takes breaks from that it'll show things from the perspective of other characters like uh Mm -hmm. uh, what's her daughter's name again is it Anne? Anne, yeah Anne, yeah when we see um the scene where uh, Anne like breaks the coffee mug on the floor of the tea glass or whatever oh, yeah. it is, mm-hmm. and um, like she has that like a uh, like fantasy almost of like 
strangling Anthony. Yeah. That sounds weird saying it, but um, it, oh, yeah. There's speaking of, why don't there. we why don't we talk about that? What's that all about? Sure. I think it's more of a just kind of her hope to kind of like release him of his confusion or something. But yeah, I I took that as she is. Like, this is what the disease can do to not only the person who's directly suffering it, but also the people who are trying to take care of them, that they can take such extreme considerations as just killing a person to get them out of the misery. Because as you see throughout the whole film, she puts so much effort in. And so often there are misunderstandings where Anthony ends up blaming her for the things that are happening but it's a misconception by both of them. So those pent-up frustrations can really lead someone to dark considerations like that, and I'm assuming that is the main purpose of what showing her, like, thinking about strangling him and directly showing the event happening. I'm assuming that was what the purpose was behind it, and it it was really dark the first time I saw that. I don't know about you. Uh, yeah, I, I got very confused um and i'm like i guess the story's over then um but uh no i think it it did a a good job highlighting the very difficult situation that they found themselves in because anthony he's just uh kind of going through the motions almost and doing what he would logically do in his situation Mm -hmm. and anna's doing the same but it's showing how there can be like conflict even if they're both kind of longing for an understanding and exactly. they want to be on the same page there, there can still arise conflict through their very unique situation yeah and that's that's like one of the most heartbreaking things about this story is that it's no one's fault what is happening between the two of them the they they're both trying their best olivia or wow olivia olivia coleman is the actor and uh wants nothing but the best for him and to have him misconstrue her intentions so bad. Like there's that one scene where they're initially meeting Laura, the new carer. And then Anthony goes on a couple minute long speech where he just talks about how Anne is trying to deceive him, trying to take advantage of him. And then he intimidates her by saying, I am going to outlive you and everyone else. And that just comes out of nowhere. And that that's what really shakes Anne's character like almost brings her to her breaking point um and her breaking point as we've discussed is when she um accidentally shatters the mug and then starts crying and considers killing her father just to put him out of his misery yeah uh one thing that i like to um appreciate in this movie is details uh, I think this movie yes. is a very detail, mm-hmm. detail-oriented more than any other film that I've seen. All the small Same. details of the apartment flat, if you will, as they say mm-hmm. in the movie, yes. um, it's it's very carefully considered um, in the interior design and um, the uh, colors are are very representative of what the characters are going through in the story. And that's one of the things that I appreciated the most in this film was both the composition of like symmetry and whatnot within the flat 
and the um, use of these subtle changes uh, that they implemented throughout the uh, throughout the timeline of, of the movie to illustrate how Anthony is slowly being stripped away from his um, like independence in his own in his own in his own home, um, mm-hmm. like things started out as very comfortable and something that is his and they gradually throughout the story from Anthony's perspective become more uh, taken away from him. Mm-hmm. And with that detail, there, those, the composition of, so for example, there are, there are like three or four shots of the kitchen throughout the movie and they're all composed the exact same way. But you can notice slight differences in coloring or material on the cabinets and similar things like that. You can notice all those differences, but this movie just it just presents them. It does not like it is not heavy handed at all in trying to present you these details. It's got a lot of subtlety. For sure. And it um and I like that because the does it, like Anthony is not deliberately aware of his disease at all and if we're getting this film from his perspective why would we be getting why would we be getting those deliberate close-ups or deliberate confirmations of his disease um that makes it even more sympathetic yeah uh my my favorite shot like really highlighting that uh composition is the kitchen the kitchen scene the first kitchen scene where we see him unloading the groceries that he yes. didn't buy. Um, mm-hmm. And like we see him going about his process. And that's really a show of the acting that. Um, oh, yeah. The actor is able to accomplish there because he does so many like double takes and uh, yeah. very subtle uh, body language. Um, I don't know what the noun for body language would be, but very subtle body language uh, movements that uh, he exhibits are really telling of his like forgetfulness in mm-hmm. a in a very like uh telling telling way it it doesn't just say oh he's forgetful it says in what ways he's forgetful um all through very subtle movements with him unloading the groceries in that kitchen yeah and not only is he forgetful but he tries to maintain composure he tries to maintain a facade of being in control while going through this and hopkins balances the two switches between the two really quickly and like he just does so many small acting uh, abilities that really separate him from a lot of the actors that i've seen he is really good at displaying vulnerability. Like in the one scene where he's being slapped over and over again by Paul, that is like, I think that's his best scene acting wise. It's either that or his meltdown at the end of the movie, because he just has so many little actions, like just quaking his hands, quaking his arms, uh, having breaks in his voice, stammering, whimpering. And those times when he breaks that facade of just being in control are incredibly effective, especially. I think we, yeah, I think we touched on this in the inception episode of the Nick and the Nathans show. Um, but I, I went on a little rant about how Leonardo DiCaprio is good at crying. And, uh, 
Mm-hmm. It's it sounds weird saying it, but crying is one of the most amazing things that an actor can do. And showing any uh complex and heavy emotions like that convincingly are just such uh a good thing to immerse and really almost trap the viewer in the story in in the best way possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's one thing if you can make everyone believe that what the character is going through is genuine. It's another thing if you can make them like almost know that what the character is going through is genuine. I never doubted for a moment in this film um, that like anything happening here was like fictional. Like, I mean, of course I knew it was a fictional film, but it, it seemed so raw. So, so real, especially with like the lack of jump cuts like the editing yeah. in this film is very unique. It's it's definitely an indie film from like what we see in the editing. It's these amazing like long shots that not only are harder on the actors, but are harder on like everyone involved on set because that means that you have to put a lot more time probably doing multiple takes with stuff, um long takes, memorizing everything. Just a lot of effort had to go into this on the production side of things and i i can really appreciate that whenever an indie film is doing something like extraordinary like that and it's mm-hmm. something that you don't see in those 200 million dollar blockbusters that are so prevalent these days yeah definitely not as much and yeah i'm actually i've actually just got the film pulled up just on silent just watching these shots and like as you were talking about those long takes that there was one for like just 10 seconds that held on and there are, there are even longer ones throughout the movie where it's just... And it's one of those scenes where Anthony Hopkins has to maintain that facade of control even though he's forgetting really basic information that he should know. It's the scene where he's he was confused by Paul sitting in, his, in what Anthony thinks is his flat. But it's actually um, being moved in... It's actually him being moved in to Paul's flat. And... Like... There's so much to, that you can say about the acting, so much to appreciate. Um, and I don't want to take away from Olivia Coleman either. Uh, she does just as well as Hopkins does. Um, there's, like, she, she does those, those little things, too, that I mentioned with Hopkins. And she just... Her facial expressions, especially when uh, Anthony is going on his... The, that like two minute speech about how he's gonna outlive Anne and how he's gonna overcome Anne's plan to subvert him. The looks on her face as she's trying to maintain strength in the face of Laura while trying to stay strong in front of her. She is also hearing stuff that would be absolutely devastating for you after you've been taking care of this man for, uh, I don't know how long, like, maybe a decade or if not more. And then just to have him say that, like that would be crushing. Mm-hmm. And she portrays that so well. Yeah. To one last thing, uh, before we completely transition into like the full of acting while we were on the note of actors doing these long takes, that's another re- reason why the kitchen scene is so good. It's like yes. several minutes of an uninterrupted, shot with beautiful symmetry like all the compositions Mm -hmm. that they are able to do in this flat in this apartment 
are very creative for uh, what they're working with. They are able to make what is probably just a very normal apartment into something really artful. This is just a very visually captivating movie, not just with the like shapes of the composition and the symmetry, but also the colors are some of my favorite colors in really any movie. Like I love to to really dive into colors when I watch a film. Color grading is something I'm not good at, but I I know uh when I see I know good color grading when I see it. Um yeah. and I I'm just a sucker for those amazing colors. Yeah, and they really make good use of the coloring throughout this film where they they'll, they'll show the exact same shots like I said with the kitchen, just slightly different colors. Um and then the you can see the flat uh becomes more and more like the hospital blue where it's just like that light cool blue that's just not very welcoming and then you've got all the like it almost looks like cheap fluorescent lights just a really uninviting atmosphere and it just becomes more and more like that after being a really comfortable and warm atmosphere um in the beginning yeah for sure so i'm looking through the awards that the father won right now and I'm very grateful it was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Production Design. And mm-hmm. if it if Tenet wasn't uh, also nominated for that, I, I would have hoped for the father to win that. And being honest, I think this production design might be even better than Tenet with a 200-whatever-million-dollar mm. budget. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just the production design is... It's one of the more underappreciated aspects of a movie, but if... If it's good, you're not going to notice it. That's almost the idea of it. Exactly. That yeah. you are immersed enough in the story where everything feels natural, not like you're on a set or even on location, not like you're just shooting in some random area of the world. Yeah. And then that cinematography also comes out when you've got the... the this is kind of going back to just detailed stuff, but it's also cinematography... Um, I, I don't know if you noticed, but when they go to the doctor's office just for Anthony's appointment, where they're just talking about the condition, the shot of them leaving the elevator is almost the exact same shot as the elevator going into the flat. But it, again, it's just really slight differences. And there, there's just beauty in the simplicity, I think, of this, because the cinematography isn't distracting at all. It just... It just keeps the focus on the story, and that's what good filming should do. Yeah. One of my um, my uh, most... Uh, one of the aspects of this film that I appreciated the most was the use of everything staying in this same building. Uh, when Anthony goes out to the doctor's office, he doesn't we don't see him ever leaving a building. He's no, he's in the, the same building the entire time. Um, when he's in the hospital or not the, the care home, he's in the same building. Everything we see of Anthony mm-hmm. is inside kind of 
almost as a uh, like a metaphor of him like being trapped in his head. And I'm not sure how much of this is my own and how much of it is from that video, but because it's it's starting to blend together after this much. But mm-hmm. it's it's such a great um, display of how really trapped he is in not only like his head but in his situation like and won't uh make sense from his point of view uh everything is being taken away from him and he's really just in a very vulnerable situation and i i don't think that i've ever seen a film that can encapsulate that kind of uh, feeling and garner so much sympathy for a single uh, character. Yeah. It just does such an effective job making everyone care and really invested in Anthony's story. Yeah. And then even more of that impressive use of just one flat to get even more specific throughout the film, whenever he experiences confusion from the his memory failing him like for example when the scene repeats where he discovers James and Anne talking about putting him in a care home he hears that dialogue twice and that that just like really really confuses him and makes him super anxious and every single time that this happens to him he goes back to his room Every single time, because that is the most that is the most consistent uh, element of his flat for him, and then that makes it even more tragic when, at the end of the film, it subtly cuts to him in the care home, barely even having that foundation that he had in his room anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm checking um, all the awards for this movie just to see what uh, a lot of critics uh, decided upon. And Anthony Hopkins hmm. won Best Actor uh, yeah, an Academy Award for this film. Very well deserved. Well deserved. And yeah. he was going up against uh, uh, Chadwick Boseman uh, with uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which is a uh, like a 1940s, 50s, I believe, uh, film about... Uh, him like playing jazz uh he was going up against several other notable actors in uh some of the bigger movies of uh 2021 and i i think that awards are not that not necessarily something that everyone should like set set store by like for whether something is good or not but if something wins an award or several that's definitely a a tell of something's greatness and I think it's impressive that a film with a small budget like this, like a an ad, excuse me, an adaptation, an, ad, um, an adaptation like this, is able to uh, to get like big awards, like best actor. It's it's just impressive. Yeah, and I'm really glad that it got that attention because I still don't know if I think this film has been discussed enough. Like, I th- I think this should be. If you're a film fan, I think this is something that should be like near the top of your list for at least watch it once or twice because there's a lot to appreciate with it. For sure. And I've got one more I've got one more thing on the details real quick. Where so 
throughout the film, there's the one line in the beginning where Anthony says, well, the world is still turning. He says that, I think he repeats the line multiple times. And then he also, in his room, looks out the window to see the world operating like normal. One of them is to see a little kid playing with a bag that's flying through the wind. And a couple other times he just sees people walking and doing stuff like that. And he gets comfort in just even simple, the simplest things as watching the world, just just watching the world function, watching humans be humans. And then even that gets stripped away from him at the end where all that he has out the window in his nursing home is trees. Um, and that's it. There's no view of like human life anywhere. It's just, there's so many intricacies that build up to conclusions like that, that like really make me appreciate the work that went into the script cinematography, like basically every aspect of the film. So what Mm -hmm. were you going to get at? Uh, I was going to say that we should dive into um, the actual story of the film and address some of the uh, specific things that happen uh, that seem out of place. Like, for instance, the Anne's husband-boyfriend situation, who's who's Paul, what's happening at different points. And the main part of that Mm -hmm. that I'd like to discuss is... um, the one that is actively involved uh, before Anthony is put in the care home. Because one of the first things we see is Anne talking to Anthony about how uh, she's going to meet a man in France, and Mm -hmm. um, that's why she'd like to find him a carer. And are we safe to assume that that's likely one of the later things happening in the story? Um, I I would assume so. Because Because later in the story, we see Anne doesn't know about the Frenchman, like, because... Yeah. She's like, what are you on about with this Frenchman? Like, she would say that multiple times. Yeah, she's like, why do you keep, why do you keep going on about Paris? I'm not going there or anything. Um, And then at, at the end of the story where he is finally in the nursing home, which is, it's... I think it's safe to assume that that is like the chronologically that is the last scene out of all the scenes in this film like that like on a timeline that happens last before all the other events and at that point she's in Paris so I think it's safe to assume that mm-hmm. um maybe what happened is Anthony is experiencing everything from uh like the care home this this is like a that's what I one think. of those inception theories where it's like is everything real but maybe this entire story is anthony in the care home reliving his past memories and maybe Anne like he thinks it's in his flat but he's really in the care home and talking to him that's in the care home after he's already there like all the different discussions that happen like he could just be like talking to himself, reliving past memories, and that's why everything's out of order. That's a, that's a theory, maybe, but I could see that for sure because, like, I don't know how he would have context for who um, Bill is the worker who also he's the worker at the nursing home who yeah, also exactly. looked like yeah. So I I 
think he would have been in the care ho- like in the care home thinking about all of these events and this is ju- I, this is more a portrayal of his recollection of it and how faulty it is um but we also still get those few scenes where we see Anne's perspective and we get a little bit more a little bit more of an omniscient perspective maybe not fully omniscient but we get a little bit more context from those scenes and we can still see how it affects her so I think there's a strong case to be made for a lot of it, if not all of it, being from the care home. Mm-hmm. And one of these things, like at least the first scene with um, the the man uh, that the first man that Anthony encounters, the the care home worker. That scene from then on, if we're talking about the story in a chronological perspective, um, then he he will be in the care home from that point on. But then again, mm-hmm. this is a non-linear story, so I don't think everything necessarily has a reason of where it's happening, of the different uh, husband-boyfriend characters, um, uh, and of like the conversations between Anthony, Anne, and, uh, and them. It, it doesn't necessarily matter the context, just that it's all out of place and jumbled and confused. Yeah, and that's kind of the whole point of the film that you like it's so impossible for this man to understand and that's why he's been that's why he's devolved to the way that he is now just so difficult it's so difficult for him to do basic things like he loses his watch multiple times which there is actually a little bit of significance with the watch um because that's something that he can rely on to that's like an object permanence thing where he can rely on that to consistently tell him like that time is progressing linearly. I don't know if that's a word, but in a linear fashion. Um, And so that's why he's so panicked when he loses it multiple times throughout the story. And that's why you, even why he's so fascinated with it when he sees it on Paul's, wrist and Paul is trying to talk to him about um what's going on with Anne and the carer and he he just can't get past the wash because he's so he finds those so important to him because they're one consistent element of his life when there are so few of those yeah um another another uh object like that or motif if you will is the chicken and the dinner and yes. the time we we have at least one evening that is either happening in real time or Anthony's recollecting. And it's on the same evening that the groceries are unloaded and goes out to buy the chicken. Um, and is home and cooking the chicken. They are eating dinner, eating the chicken. Um, and they're always talking about this chicken and it can be, uh, it's presumably all happening on the same day. Even if we're experiencing this day out of order, so mm-hmm. I think that grounds everything a little bit, the the entire chicken. Um, af- after you say chicken so many times, it loses its meaning, but <laughs> <I know. laughs> um, the, the entire chicken idea is just grounding everything to one central, like, return point. Yeah, and the 
chicken as much as we're going to be repeating this word and it's going to sound silly semantic satiation is what uh, yeah (laughs) the the chicken is actually an important part of this story because um anthony first um like he's telling Anne that he's freaking out to Anne about the man with the chicken who was just here and is now gone and just imagine hearing that like from from your perspective you have just gotten home and like it's a normal day and then someone's telling you about a man with a chicken who disappeared like and that's that obviously makes Anne chuckle a little bit because it's so it it sounds kind of like a ludicrous idea Outlandish, to her. Very. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she starts chuckling about it to to the offense of Anthony because from his perspective, he has just had someone had a stranger enter his house and and then had had a tense confrontation with that stranger only for his circumstances to suddenly and rapidly change. That is extremely confusing for him. And someone is just laughing at him while he is describing this this trouble of understanding. And that's once again where it goes back to, it's no one's fault. It's just tragic because both people are trying their best. And when it keeps coming back to that, it's so powerful. Yes, definitely. Are there any other objects or motifs that are repeated there? I feel I feel like whenever there's a couple, there's always a lot more. Like maybe the stripes on the wall that are like reminiscent of the hospital care home. That's another. Hmm. I didn't. Um, I didn't actually pick up on that one. But do, uh, do you do you have anything on that or um, just throw this is, out there? This is a little bit from that uh, Mauler, if I'm pronouncing that right. That video that um, Mauler. Mauler. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's from that, uh, from that video where he, he points out a lot of these details, like the, the furniture slowly grows to resemble this kind of stripe going along throughout the house in the hallway, um, where it's becoming more and more like emphasized on this stripe that is, uh, very reminiscent of like a hospital, um, of like the white and blue okay, yeah. uh, aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, yeah, why don't we talk I about the? Remember that? Oh yeah. Why don't we talk about the um the dream that Anthony has, where uh, he sees uh his oh his yeah Lucy, uh Lucy uh that that kind of nightmare that he has that kind of brings the memory of Lucy back to him. Yeah, that one is really that that one confused me on my first viewing because I almost thought like. I, I wasn't sure if this was a dream or, like, at first. Obviously, once he got into the hospital, I knew it was a dream. But before that, I wasn't sure what it was. And I could tell the color grading was different. It had a much cooler blue tone to it that differentiated from the rest of the movie. Like, almost like an industrial, very inhuman, very uh, artificial kind of lighting. I think yeah. lighting is one of the best ways that they can tell stories through cinematography. Like, warmth is very inviting and... For sure. Uh, more neutral and cooler colors are a little bit more um, harsh and present kind of like a For negative sure, yeah. aura. And then, and that's huge in this dream sequence where he is in the in the hospital hallway, and he stares he stares for a couple seconds at the visitors' lounge, which is 
probably someplace that he spent a lot of time while he was waiting to hear about what happened to Lucy after her accident. And so he glances at that uh, for a couple seconds in his dream and then starts following her voice again. And, th- and it's just in this hallway with the harsh fluorescent lights, the that cool blue lighting that you were talking about. It's really present there. sets a really um, just dark mood and then sees that really daunting image of Lucy talking to him with all with her face all beat up lying on the hospital bed and and it does like one it just does like like it's like the one moment that got me to actually jump a little bit in the movie it does a really fast jump cut to him splashing his face with water to try and get that out of his head try and recover from that really brutal experience Mm -hmm. and then as soon as he gets up he goes to check those same doors uh, once he wakes up and then just realizes that it's a closet. So he is yeah. able to confirm at least that that was only a dream and not something that really happened. So there's a little bit of comfort for him at least. Yeah, one thing that I liked about that scene was the the methods used to build tension. Uh, the audio of uh, Lucy saying dad is definitely uh, recorded in a on a like a studio microphone probably mostly offset very close to the microphone giving a lot of presence to it um we were talking about this just before the episode and i didn't even know we were gonna bring this up in within the episode but uh the presence the the distance from the microphone is very close um oh yeah when lucy is saying the word dad and it's disproportionately loud, um, both uh, to what it should be in real life and to how it's mixed in the film. And that audio is very um, unsettling and really sure. draws you in and builds tension as we're hearing that kind of ethereal, like transcending um, voice that's outside of what's actually happening in the film. And then the music in that scene also, which I think we should talk about the music a little bit, um, because it's a pretty simple score, I think. like there's n- It's not very dynamic, and it kind of does the same thing, just in slight variation throughout the, different, throughout the different scenes in the movie. But the thing that stuck out to me the most about the soundtrack was in the scene where... Anthony hears the hears them talking about putting him in a care home. He hears that twice, and as he's having the realization that he is hearing the same dialogue again, as he comes to that realization, the music just starts to it starts to creep in. Like as he starts to walk up, it's kind of slow, quiet, ominous, but then it just gets more and more intense as he comes to the realization, and and as soon as it becomes too much for him, it just slows down as he closes his bedroom door. And there are a lot of similar moments like that throughout the film where the score really becomes impactful, even though it's not entirely that complex. Yeah, I um, I don't have a very good uh, memory of a lot of the specific things in the store- score, but I picked up on um, those same general things. I, I really appreciated um, Anthony's... Uh, 
probably like a audiophile hobby that that seems like something he'd be uh, into yeah. like listening to mm-hmm. uh opera music uh on headphones is it's something i can relate to i don't listen to opera but i uh i i like to sit down and uh listen to music with no other distractions sometimes and um that that seems like something that he would be very drawn to with his um Mm-hmm. his obsession with keeping time listening to music would be such a great way for him to be able to keep consistency in something because with the music it's giving you a constant like if the same way he like freaks out when everyone whenever whenever someone is about to leave the room yeah um like he he wants to cling for something consistent whether it be his watch music that he's listening to uh having conversations with people it just is a very fitting thing for him to be doing and like the same could have been accomplished with like watching tv or something but it wouldn't have been as artful in that scenario yeah and then with that music something that's just like so tragic because you mentioned how it creates a sense of consistency even the music at one point starts to repeat and starts to skip just like his memory does. And that's, I think that was some really, really powerful symbolism because this is one of those consistent elements that he goes back to one of his foundations. I would say two of his main foundations are his room, his watch, and then the music is another one of those that are not, it's not quite as heavily relied on, but he still enjoys it quite a lot. And when even that starts to skip and repeat itself, um, it's just another symbolic representation of the brutality of this disease. And he attempts to take a cloth to it, wipe it off and fix it, which is almost analogous to him trying to come to terms with his circumstances. And just so many things like that, that are so poetic really, really drive the, film home or film home for me i think another one of those uh is the painting that either is or Mm -hmm. isn't um above his fireplace mantle uh if the entire movie is taking place after he's left his own flat then it's never really there throughout the entire movie but from anthony's perspective he's in what's presumably his flat so whenever we're seeing something it can be deduced that it's what Anthony's flat actually would be because the painting's up. Uh, he has his, uh, like, uh, CD equipment. Uh, his his kitchen is uh, presumably something that he's used to. He thinks he's in his flat the entire time. So mm-hmm. that painting that Lucy drew is a great, um, like, marker of probably one of the most prominent uh, markers of him believing he has possession of uh the the scenario control of what's happening or him losing that control when the painting is up he's still semi comfortable even if strange things are happening but the painting is later took down um or he realizes that it's not there anymore and um it's it's very apparent that he no longer has control of his situation yeah, and I think it's right after that scene where he realizes that the painting is gone. I think it's right after that scene that he gets um, slapped by 
Paul multiple times. I think that's where it was anyway. Um, and again, that's just sh more shocking realizations in succession that just make it so hard on him. And that's where he reaches one of his two breaking points throughout the film, which I, I kind of want to discuss just that scene in particular, because that one really, really, it sticks out to me every time I watch it. I get, I get chills every time I watch that scene, actually. Um, I've watched clips of it multiple times too. So just the scene where Paul, it's the second time that Paul is asking him about um, if he's going to stop ruining his daughter's life. He's, he has that conversation twice, but it stops short the first time. And this is the second time. And this is where Paul starts to like really aggressively question him instead of throwing it out there casually. So I was, Wondering if, if there was anything you picked up on there that really stuck out or was really powerful because we've already touched on Hopkins acting and I think he really shines in that scene too, but if there's anything else. Um, one thing I noticed is the, just what I've deduced is literally happening in the scene is he's having just a, a breakdown, a realization of um, his situation and... Paul isn't actually there. It's just a, a figment of, of his imagination. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But um, he has this breakdown and Anne comes in to comfort him. And like mm -hmm. no reasonable person would ever do what Paul did in that scene. So it's no. just kind of an embodiment, uh, personification really of uh, Anthony's struggle. And so that causes him to basically spontaneously break down and Anne comes in to comfort him. And we kind of just see Paul like lurking um in the foreground uh that's that's the one main thing that i took away from that is um just what's literally happening um as for uh the what 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 is paul actually saying i i don't have a very clear memory of what paul was telling him as he was uh repeatedly slapping him okay so i think i've so first he says well let me find it i think i wrote it down um, yeah, so he says, he starts with the first question saying, how long do you intend to hang around getting on everybody's tits? And then he says, um, like, how long do you plan to keep ruining your daughter's life? Like, when are you going to stop this mm -hmm. act? Basically just denying that it really, just thinking that he's doing it for attention, kind of denying the reality of the disease and how it's affecting him. Which okay. I think is actually interesting, too, because Ant Anthony and Paul slash James are similar in the way that they both don't blame the disease. They both want to find other reasons for it. Um, so I think even drawing that similarity there is a, at least a like, unique idea to draw upon when considering how... Paul and James are kind of antagonistic throughout the film a little bit, but they still share a similar belief just with a different spin to Anthony. Yeah. So bringing it back to the personification of um, Anthony's struggles, that could just be a, an embodiment of what other people are saying to him and what's being repeated and just a more um, abrasive, uh, display of that probably what a more accurate um 
medium of what Anthony is perceiving everything as. Because even though mm-hmm. the story is um, shown from his perspective, I think it needs a little bit more to really drive home his interpretation of what's happening. Because we see Anthony um, put on this facade is really the best word that we've used several times of having it under control and faking yeah. um, knowing what's going on. But I think it really takes a scene like that to show Anthony's true internal feelings because no amount of acting can show what someone is thinking when the character themselves is like acting. We're, we're kind of getting meta here when the the actor mm-hmm. is acting a character that is acting, but um, <laughs> it's it's a, just a great scene to serve the purpose of Anthony's perception of these uh, things that are happening to him. Yeah, and those are the most, uh, the scenes where you get like a really good window into what he's really thinking are that that scene where he's breaking down with Anne comforting him, and then the scene at the end where he breaks down where Catherine, the nurse, has to comfort him because even Anne isn't there anymore. And when he, and those are the scenes where he's talking about how he he hopes his daughter will visit him and how he hopes his mom even will visit him. And it's just all these things that no, like no one who's, uh, has normal memory would be saying anything like this. And the fact that someone like genuinely thinks there's a chance of some of these things happening, it, it just, you can see the look of sympathy and dread on the characters' faces when they're dealing with him, like just like absolutely feeling terrible for him. And that translates to the viewers pretty often as well. Yeah. One thing that you reminded me of um, in talking about the, the uh, care home and uh, his daughter visiting is how Anthony mixes up faces with people. Um, I think it's safe to say that Mm -hmm. the first carer, which is really the same carer, but the first carer that we see in the film is uh, Lucy. That's exactly what Lucy would look like. It's very close to what she looks like in the hospital dream. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's why he comments on how she looks very similar to his daughter Lucy, because that's that's just him mixing up uh, faces. Um, And that's why... uh, Anne is a little taken aback by that because in reality the the carer is uh a little bit older and um mm-hmm. uh doesn't really look at all like Lucy. Um another example of that would be Anne. I feel like Anne had a either uh a um a very extreme like change in appearance or a temporary like actor change, I think, like happened. Like I and I feel like for some reason it might have just been that Anthony was um perceiving Anne differently, but I think Anne actually looked different, um slightly different when uh she came into the flat. I think it might have just been a different haircut or something, but Oh yeah. See I I actually thought that too on my first viewing. I I got that confused, but then I looked back, that is actually a different person. That is that is the same carer. That's Catherine. That, that's what that's I Catherine's thought. actor. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they they looked pretty similar. So I got, I got confused on my 
first viewing as well. That that was probably a very deliberate choice. Um, uh, what was probably, uh, Anne's yeah. actor name? Um, Karen uh, Olivia Coleman. Olivia Coleman. They probably uh, cast the the true carer uh, after Olivia Coleman, trying to find someone that looked very similar to her for that exact reason. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the other actor was Olivia Williams, who played Catherine. We have a lot of name a matching. Uh, yeah, Anthony mm-hmm. Anthony Hopkins plays uh, Anthony. Olivia Anthony, Coleman yeah. has a doppelganger named Olivia. Um, <laughs> a lot of f- funny stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else you'd like to add? Uh, I'm sure there's a couple things here. Oh, okay, that scene where he is struggling to put on his sweater i i'm I'm gonna keep saying it a lot because i like tragic like that defines so many just scenes in this film but that's another one of those instances where it's just a simple action that and anthony is struggling to achieve and uh olivia coleman and just helps him out with that you know, it's it's a kind gesture, but overall you may not think it's all that big of a deal. But it ends up prompting Anthony to say, uh, and thank you for everything. And it's, there are just a few moments like that throughout the film. Another one is where he says, her hair looks really nice. And I think there are a couple more moments where he, they have a good, a good moment of bonding. And I like that the film included those, because... If it, if it had only shown the struggles between their relationship, we wouldn't have any context for what their relationship used to be like. And when you sprinkle in those nice moments, another one is where he lays his hand on her shoulder and where he puts his hand on her face before they say goodbye for what could be the last time. If you sprinkle in those moments, you can establish that there was a great relationship here at one point and it's just really sad that it's kind of crumbled into what it's become, which is mm-hmm. subpar at best. And just realizing how few and far between that those nice moments are compared to all the struggle really makes uh, you appreciate how much Anne is doing for the father in the story. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself with that. Um, you hit on a lot of what I was thinking about uh, when you first brought the the point up of those uh, tender moments. Um, yeah. I think that's referenced a little bit uh, earlier in the film um, when the, the carer that resembles Lucy um, is first brought in and um, we get a little bit of history talking about how uh, like Anna's um, second uh, and favorite favoritism to lucy just mm-hmm. a little bit of history yep. like that but um that that's contrasted very nicely with um what we what little of what we see of those tender moments and it really puts Anne in, in an even uh, trickier situation because uh Anne is mostly subject to fairly rude or per- perceivedly rude behavior from anthony but mm-hmm. it's makes it even harder for her when there are those tender moments. And, um, it's, uh, probably a little bit, um, like their entire interaction reminds me of, uh, 
a Nolan film called The Prestige. One of my favorite uh, Nolan films. I say that about all I've of them. Meaning to watch that. We do need to. We do need to watch that. It's it's a great one. It's one of his earlier ones, actually. Uh, two thousand six. Okay. Um, but anyway, in that story, um, there is a a character. Um, I won't give too much away, but a character that uh, is uh, in love with another character. And he kind of has two separate personalities. One where um, he he loves the this other character, and another where uh, he's fairly rude and um, implies a lot of things uh, negatively towards her. And one thing that she says um, in one of these moments when uh, the male character is um, being loving towards her is he says um, something along the lines of her, of him, like, actually meaning it today. Like, he'll have days where he means it and days where he doesn't. And she says, yes, and that makes it even harder when you don't mean it. Like, these days that you mean that. Mm -hmm. This is going too far, but you know what I mean with loving her and not. Mm -hmm. Sure. And I do have just one more acting shout out. We didn't talk about um, Imogen Imogen Poots. Um, I don't know if you know who that actor is, but she was the one who played Laura, the caretaker who resembled um, Lucy. And there was just one moment where she had some really great improvisation where, because I, I watched this movie with subtitles and I think they just take the script that was written and just use that for the subtitles instead of using what was put in the final cut. There was one moment where Anthony is making a huge show out of just taking his medication. If you remember, and he's getting super energetic about it. He's like, um, like he drank all his water, but he can still do it with the tea. He's really excited. And he wants, he wants, uh, Lucy, no, Laura to be, watching him get excited about it and stuff like that. And so he just says, are you watching? Are you watching? And she's the original script just says, yes, comma, I'm watching. But then, um, Imogen Poots actually says, yes, yes, yes. I'm watching like really fast with a lot of excitement and just adding that extra energy. It's little things like that, that really good actors can pick up on that increase the mood of a scene beyond just what the script might've said. So that's just a quick little shout out, but yeah, for sure. Um, I think improv is one of the things that can take acting to another level. Um, I think the best example of this, I'm sure you've heard of this, even if you haven't seen the movie, but a very famous example of, uh, improv is Heath Ledger, uh, playing the Joker in, uh, the, the dark Knight, And in that film, there is a practical real explosion that is happening. And, um, the Heath Ledger, the Joker, is triggering this explosion um, via, like, a remote control, a remote detonator, and uh, he he presses the button, and nothing happens, and it's it's supposed to blow, right? And they have a real location that they're blowing up with thousands of dollars of explosives and, and millions of dollars of stuff that they're blowing up for this shot, and it doesn't work as planned. So what he does is he improvises and like pretends to like fiddle with, um, 
fiddle with uh, the uh, the remote control, and he plays very very well into the character instead of breaking character. And the explosion happens about um, five ten seconds after it was supposed to, and he plays along with it, and they made the scene even better and even oh, nice. funnier. And mm-hmm. like acting like that, sure that's an extreme situation, but just tying it back into this film, how acting can really take everything to the next level. And I know we've already talked about acting, but this is just another great um, point, bringing it back to that improvisation, since you reminded me of that. Yeah, and Hopkins had a couple that I noticed as well. It was similar dialogue. I can't remember it off the top of my head, but yeah, uh, that's about it for for me. If you've got anything else, I don't know. but Uh, I think I'm about finished with everything that i have to say with it as well um all right i i'm very uh i'm very happy with this film um but i think we should probably wrap it up by discussing this film uh from the perspective of a non-film person um i watched this film with a couple other people in my family and we all had very Mm, mixed uh reactions to it i had um I had a reaction such as educational, um, um, <laughs> and um, enlightening, but not necessarily entertaining. Um, that that was kind of a a little bit of what I what I got from others. But um, I think that this is a film for if you want to really dive into a film and appreciate it. I don't think um, people that aren't going in with the expectation of doing that. I don't think they're going to enjoy this film as much because mm-hmm. it's confusing. It's a little bit all over the place and sure that's what it's going for. And sure. That's a good effect um, to add a lot of uh, relatability to the story, but that's not necessarily something that the, the masses will appreciate. Um, so that might, might influence our objective and subjective ratings for this. So take that into account if you want to uh, think about that for a minute before we give our letter grades. Okay, yeah. So that's that's actually where I really like drawing that distinction between subjective and objective because whether or not it's palatable, it can still be amazing. Um, it does. It really doesn't matter how people perceive it when you're discussing the objective quality, but then that's going to change for subjective quality based on person to person. And that's where, um, if I, if I were, it's hard for me to really imagine, um, someone who's not a film nerd watching this because like I'm watch I, I watched this three times as a film nerd. Um, and I haven't showed it to anyone else. I, I guess I'd be curious to see what other people think of it that aren't as into film as I am. Um, but I, I, I agree with you that they would probably, it'd be a little bit less palatable. It'd be a little bit harder to understand because well, not necessarily that they really, couldn't understand it. Just, you'd have to put effort into it other than just yeah. watching the, watching the film. Yeah. I, I get, yeah, that's, I guess that's what I meant. Not necessarily understanding, it, but there's just more to it than your typical film experience, I guess I would say. So, um, if I do end up showing it to anyone else, I can I can get an update on that in a future episode, maybe. We'll see about that. Yeah. So, 
Uh, I think I'd like to start out with my, my letter grading, if you think we're ready for that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, go ahead. So for my, um, for my subjective, I'm still kind of working out my scale. Um, but I think A is about as high as I'll ever go. Um, so A would be a movie like uh, Inception um, or Interstellar, a very artful. And I'm sure I'm definitely biased towards those movies, but that would be my top and I don't think I'd ever really go lower than like a like a, a D minus. Um, I mean, I might give an F to a, a terrible a terrible movie like um, Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four or something along or the those Last lines. <laughs> Last Jedi had a lot going for it though, so I, I we'll need to save that discussion for another day. Yeah, but um, uh-huh. I got a lot about that. <laughs> <laughs> um. But for the father, I think that my subjective grade, this movie gets a either a B or a B plus, uh, probably leaning towards the B plus side on that, just because it has a lot of these um, these amazing like cinematography um, things and composition and uh, motifs that I really appreciate and all these small fine details that I love to find in movies. Um, mm-hmm. But it it requires a little bit too much. Um, like thinking about to figure out what is they're actually going for with the film because it's confusing intentionally and that's understandable and it makes sense after you've uh analyzed the film thoroughly but really while you're watching it if i'm struggling to find much enjoyment from it while i'm watching it then i think it's doing something wrong in that regard um Bring it to my objective rating of probably a a C plus for the for mm. the average um, viewer because it it's a little bit tricky to digest, especially if you're not willing to watch it a, a second time or have a a deep diving analysis into it. Okay, well for this one for me, um, it's my favorite film, so. Uh, subjectively, the grade's going to be pretty obvious. It's an I'm going to go A plus because like I. Do you want to read your uh, sentence film review for it? Oh, that... sure. I'll I'll pull I'll pull that up here. Um, one sec. Uh, for by those, the way, go follow um, at sentence film reviews on Instagram. Yep. <laughs> Just about to say that. Yeah, okay. uh, Nate runs a yep. um, Instagram account um, where he posts uh single sentence reviews of a lot of uh movies and uh i i heard about one that you did on there what was it um the seventh seal was what it was called oh yep yeah mm-hmm. uh like a black and white film from the 60s i think that i uh, i think it was like 58 or something 58 yeah. yeah late 50s that seems like you enjoyed it so i might need to go check it out yeah that was one that we watched in like uh in a film film and theology class in mm-hmm. Winterum and um that was actually recommended to me by another by one of my classmates in the class because it was really unpopular when we first watched it, including myself. I really did not like it the first time I saw it, but then I watched it again like a year later when I had more of an appreciation for like just good writing in general. And so ended up really enjoying it the second time I saw it. So that's kind of a fun story there, and I still disagree with basically almost everyone else because very few people have enjoyed that among the people that I personally know. But anyway, uh, one sentence review for the father that I got here. 
The Father is a heartbreaking story that brilliantly encapsulates the cruel reality of memory loss through a meticulous incorporation of many cinematic aspects, a lot of which I think we covered in this episode fairly well. And my objective grade is going to be an A+, because I... Objectively? Yes, because I have... Because objectively is not... It doesn't matter how well people understand it, it. It's just what the story is. Does it does it make sense? Yes, as far as I'm aware, no. <laughs> that is. It makes sense the, after you think about it. But when I yeah, when I say objectively, I mean from like a consensus of like the majority of people, um, not even the people that would watch this movie, but just of people in general, right? Would they say that this is an A plus movie without deep analysis, without going into a film uh review process just off of um their personal opinions after um after seeing it would they say that this film is an a plus i highly doubt it so okay i think we might want to just do an episode on objectivity and subjectivity because yeah that would be fun because objectivity isn't actually relevant to what people's experiences are, what they would, how they understand it. Like, um, I've done, I've done like a lot of like research and listened to a lot of commentary on this, but I still don't fully understand it. I'm really trying to get there, but basically objectivity is irrelevant of personal emotion, personal feeling, personal opinion, personal bias, any of that. And it's just analyzing the measurable, uh, qualities of what is there. And that that's where I get my objective grade from. Uh, just specifically references to the text and not whether or not someone is going to understand it. Um, and it's, it's um, easy to like think, think about it in a different way. I could be, I could be wrong about it, which might be interesting to discuss in a future episode, but that's basically how I grade objectively because it's, typically like irrelevant of emotion is kind of my go-to definition for it. So that could be a fun discussion. Sounds like. Yeah. Um, that might be a, a section of a, of a controversial episode because I feel like us talking about black widow was more of not necessarily an echo chamber, but a a fairly consistently negative, um, consensus was what came out of with the father is consistently positive if we get to a mm-hmm. movie where we disagree more or less, um, like Knives Out, <laughs> Knives Out, probably stay tuned for that. Um, it'll likely be kind of incorporated into that discussion. So maybe mm-hmm. that subjectivity objectivity would be a a, a good mm-hmm. discussion. Yeah, for that there's day. definitely a lot to talk about there too. So I would look mm-hmm. forward to that if we did it. But yeah, definitely. Um, in uh, wrapping up, um. I think we should do like a weekly self plug section because it seems like we're always figuring out something new uh, each week. Um, Okay. For me, I'm uh, now selling prints of my photographic Mm -hmm. work um, through Fine Art America. Um, I have my own website that I will link in the description slash show notes um, for this podcast. Um, So if you are interested in prints of any of my photographic material, um, my best work is featured on my uh, my website, 
uh, where you can purchase prints directly and they will be shipped to you. Um, the service that I'm using called the Fine Art America, it's, um, it's got a slight quirk to it. Um, it allows you to get prints on, uh, everyday items. So if you'd like one of my photos on a, uh, a bath towel or a, a face mask or a mug, you can. Um, but I recommend you get, uh, a wall art print as it'll be called on the website. Uh, metal is, uh, my personal favorite material. It gives you a lot of great color color accuracy and contrast um you can also get a canvas that'll fit in a little bit nicely more nicely in a wall or a pre-framed print um which is what i'd recommend if you're getting in a frame because a lot of my prints are cropped at a unusual aspect ratios so you'll mm-hmm. have a hard time finding a frame for that but i will be linking my website so if you're all at all interested in any of my photos or you don't know if my photos and you'd like to see them uh, check them out there. And if you're interested in the movie Tenet at all, there does happen to be a picture on that website that echoes that film pretty well, at least the color schemes. So if I were to get Definitely. one, that would be the one for me. So if there are any Tenet fans, go check that out for sure. And you've also yeah, got the least... photo account on Instagram, right? Oh, yep. Uh, Nathan Matthews photo. That's where I'm at. I think we mentioned that in the last episode. Mm-hmm. And, yep. uh, Follow me on Twitter at uh, Nathan Matthews. Uh, there's an N in between the Nathan and Matthews, so it looks like Nathan Matthews, but it's um, it's a uh, that's not available. So my Twitter handle is Nathan N Matthews. Um, mm-hmm. I talk about tech and promote my stuff sometimes over there, so that's cool. Yep. Um, be sure to uh, see our other podcast, uh, Nick and the Nathans, uh, where we. Um, hang out with Nick and Sweeney for a little bit. Um, I'm not sure what he's more known for now with his SpaceX stuff or with uh, the M1 cube, but um, he's, oh, he's successful yeah. in several different areas. So if you know who Nick and Sweeney is, um, be sure to check out that podcast or if you don't still go check it out. It's uh, just a long form general discussion podcast where we talk about um, uh, being a creative person and um, what we do in uh, those pursuits, our processes and whatever, topics uh we think would be interesting and almost philosophical discussions sometimes with what mm-hmm. we have planned in the yep. future for sure and also go check out his album interpretations i've listened to oh, it yep. like five times while doing like school work and stuff it's really nice to focus too so that's torch decade interpretations yep that's i don't my, know where uh, all you can find that but mm-hmm. that's my musical project um i'm currently mm-hmm. working on some uh some tunes under my own name so uh be sure to keep a lookout for that following me on twitter is the the best way to do that but i should have uh singles dropping within the next month or so so definitely be on the lookout for that and i'm working on a longer album and uh, a couple collaborations so definitely stay on the lookout for that yep and i basically run a youtube channel where i'm posting remade movie trailers, um, some remade TV spots, travel videos, similar things to that. Um, going to be uploading a montage from our trip to Lake Superior around Minnesota soon, so that'll be looking forward to getting that out there. And I run Scented Film Reviews on Instagram, which I've already talked about, and my YouTube Instagram is just Nathan Cully Edits, all one word. And on Twitter, I'll be talking about 
films and tech mainly. Um, and I did go on a long thread about objectivity versus subjectivity again, because no surprise there. That Twitter is just at Nathan Cully. And I recently just started a link tree, so I can put all of those. I can just put the link tree in the description to make it easier. Um, and yeah, that's about all I got. Yep. All of these links uh, you can find in the show notes uh, description. Um, uh, be sure to stay tuned for future episodes. Uh, we already have a couple uh, ideas in the pipeline. Um, yep. So we've mentioned Knives Out in this episode, and uh, there's a couple other things uh, we have on the list that we'll keep secret for now, but you will know in time. All right. Uh, we're hoping to have this be a, um, a weekly show, probably, so we can try to stay fairly consistent with that uh nick and the nathans i was gonna say this earlier when you're talking about it but um nick if you've been following uh him he's uh busy living the dream uh in boca chica starbase texas um documenting and um photographing basically reporting and being a like first-hand account of what's happening there um as spacex is hopefully building their way to mars so be sure to check out nick and that stuff and he that's why we haven't done a nick and the nathans in a minute because he's a little yeah. bit busy with that but he's been doing great work there and he's been elon has replied to him one or two times i think he's been on trending for spacex too so yeah he's doing great work definitely worth checking out if you even have some mild interest in space i've been interested and what he's putting out, and I hardly know anything about space, so I'm sure a follow will be well worth your time. Definitely, um, he is is producing some very uh, unique uh, content that um, there's not very many people in that uh, niche, and he seems to have found his niche. So that's congratulations to him. Um, yes. All right. Any final All right, thoughts? I'm good. All right. Uh, Be sure to stay tuned. We'll see you all in a future episode. Um, This has been the 70 millimeter mindset. I've been Nathan. This has been Nate. Yep. See ya. All right. Bye.